C-A-M-P-A-D-U-L-T-H-O-O-D Camp Adulthood Bridging the Millennial Divide One conversation at a time Interviewing guests Strangers and friends We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood. Hello and welcome to Camp Adulthood and the Resident Youth. I'm Camp Adulthood, Shay Keith. And I'm the Resident Youth, Maddie Yergi. And today we are joined by an esteemed guest, most Most esteemed, esteemed. Rebecca Bassel. Bassell. Bassell. Shit, I knew I should have asked before. This happens to Shay and us every time. No worries. (laughs) Now I'll never get it wrong again. Um, Before we dive into our usual programming um so people can get used to your voice and placing you on the millennial spectrum um can you say how old you are where you grew up and a little bit about what you're doing now yep hi internet my name is rebecca bissell um i am 25 years old as of april um i grew up primarily in richmond virginia um technically mechanicsville virginia which has a funnier name uh that people tend to make unoriginal car jokes at. Um, I have moved, I think, a total of seven times before I turned 10 years old. Uh, Born in Florida. Yeah. Born in Florida. um, Tallahassee, Florida. Then we moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma. Then, oh goodness, uh, Fairfax, Virginia. Then... Was this for your parents' work? uh, My my dad was not a military person. He was just a really... um, opportunity-driven accountant. Uh, I like it. (laughs) uh, He, my mom was always kind of the one encouraging him, like, Donald, they are not treating you as well as you should be treated. And he's like, you're right, Sharon. I should go. (laughs) Is your mom's name really Sharon? I love it. We love dramatic interpretation. So bring it, girl. I mean, this could be a whole hour of just me imitating my family because they're their own fun, wonderful show. I love my family very dearly. Um, but, uh, no, my mom was very much like, Donald, you could do better. And my dad's like, you're right. I'm going to do it. So we moved to, um, after Fairfax, Virginia, my younger sister, Rachel was born. Um, I was three at the time. Then we moved to back to Tallahassee. Then we moved to Greensboro, North Carolina. And then we moved to Richmond, Virginia. And I was nine years old, I believe. So the whole South the whole corridor south. there. Yeah. Very nice. You can tell by my accent. And what are you doing now? You live in New York. <laughs> yes, I live in New York City. Well, technically Long Island City in Queens. Um, I work for Nickelodeon. I am a associate producer on the Nickelodeon International Games and Apps team. Um, what that means is I act as a product prod- project manager um, for development on our HTML5 games. So, you know, the games that you would play on Nick.com. When you were a kid, if any of our listeners also played Krabby Patty Flipper Flop all the time. <laughs> we're going to get into this later, but I'll just let... Just preface it. We'll just, just we'll just, just spoiler. Shay really detests Spongebob, oh, so we'll no! get into it later. Maybe we'll change her mind. <laughs> fiery, fiery, passionate hatred for Spongebob. Okay. We'll, I, we'll get into it later. I'm curious to hear it because I... I have a love and hate relationship with, with the mighty yellow sponge who pays my rent, um, so... We can talk about that. Excellent. I love it. I love a good a good controversy, some tension. <laughs> Drama. Controversy. Yes. <laughs> Excellent. Um, and you also one of the in addition to working at Nickelodeon and 
your cool background and everything, you have a passion for video games, which I think is a big millennial topic that we haven't really touched on as much um, on this podcast, which is surprising. Um, so I know you studied it in school as well. Actually, well, I, yes and no. So I was I went to Bates College in Lewiston, Maine. Um, I graduated in 2016 with a degree in rhetoric. Um, mm, which and- I can't wait to dig into during the interview <laughs> portion. A uh, tiny school up in Maine uh, that was fantastic. Um, the story of how I actually got into games is a bit of longer, if I can... We'll save it. We'll, we'll save, save it for it? the okay, interview. Cool. I just want the listeners to be like, oh, yeah. who is this random trick? Why is she on the podcast? Exactly. Give you a little little taste. Okay, cool. So, All right. rhetoric major, and then I went into games. Love it. Cool. All right. All right. So, so before we jump into our regular segments, listeners, we want to just give you a little update. Uh, so the segment that you've all come to know as Millennial Moments, uh, <coughs> it's apparently coming back to kill me, um, <laughs> has been retired. And we'll only be seeing this segment now during the Shay and Maddie Friendship solo sodes, which come out about once a month. Um, and the reason that we're doing this is we just really want to be able to focus on our um, wonderful guests and spend more time in the interview section. And then you can catch up with Maddie and I during the solo suits. Uh, the millennial moment is now going to be rebranded as the friendship bracelet circle. And each time Maddie and I, uh, circle together to renew our friendship in a solo. So we'll add another link by sharing stories, but now, uh, we're just going to continue doing our hot topic or our toasty campfire. And then we'll go into the interview portion before finishing out with the archery range like we do every episode. So if you have any questions about that, or if you're like super mad that we're not doing millennial <laughs> moments anymore and that they've been rebranded to a more campy theme, uh, feel free to reach out to us at camp underscore adulthood on all the favorite social media platforms or email us hello at campadulthood.com and give us some spicy feedback. Yes. Love it. All right. Well, without further ado, Shay, do you have a Toasty Campfire topic for us today? I do. Um, I have two. The first one is less of a topic for discussion and more of just I want to make sure everyone is following this hot take in the news. Mm -hmm. Um, And has anyone been following the U.S. and the U.K. state visit? Um, Because there's a lot of pictures of the queen looking real salty at Donald Trump. There's also a great picture of the two kids looking real salty at Donald Trump, and I just love it. Uh, yes. Because basically, Queen Elizabeth is like, I've been around a lot longer than you, dude, and then he's <laughs> acting all pompous, and it's it's just wonderful fodder for content. Yes. I have seen Donald Trump wearing the ill-fitting tux. Yep. And I saw just this afternoon, whatever dinner they had today was like Donald Trump's favorite, which is basically like well done steak, palm frites Gross. and vanilla ice cream. Ugh. And I was like, great. But yeah, the picture of him side by side with the Queen in the ill fitting tux is classic. Just, you know, everyone should check that out. And then my actual hot topic for today, my toasty campfire log, is have you guys heard about the new college admissions scandal? No. No. So this one is kind of coming from the opposite end of the spectrum, so to speak. And apparently there is this trend, um, if you've seen these viral videos, of uh, it's generally people of color from more disadvantaged backgrounds. They get into an Ivy League school and it's like a video of them opening their acceptance letter and everyone is like screaming and crying and they're super excited. Um, 
as yes, one should I have be. seen those. I have, yeah. When they get into, you know, an Ivy League school, particularly if they had to fight harder than most to get there. Unfortunately, at T.M. Landry College Preparatory, which is a private school in Louisiana, uh, this is from the New York Times, their new video series called, what is it called? Oh, now, now I don't know. The Weekly. Um, mm-hmm. This is in their newest one. It, it, oh, here it is. Okay, so the first episode of The Weekly centers on an investigation of this school uh, because the founders abused students and falsified their transcripts to help them get into elite colleges. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah. So I haven't actually watched the video. I've just read a couple articles about it. So um, I just think it's really interesting. And the point that I wanted to bring up is I think there's this really weird, and we've touched on this before, fascination in the United States with like getting into these elite colleges and what it's going to do for you and, and how it's going to get you ahead in the world when the reality is it, it doesn't. Like, I don't really think you have a huge, huge advantage. If I mean, again, within reason, if you went to NYU or you went to Ohio State, you're probably going to end up with similar advantages as long as you did well and worked hard and you're a good networker, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's just really interesting, this bizarre focus that we have placed on getting into these really elite schools. Um, And it's interesting that this is something that kind of stays steady, whether you're, you know, the daughter of a rich and famous actress, or you're coming from a disadvantaged background, we're all, there's all of these ridiculous things that happen to try and get these kids into these schools. Um, so I just kind of wanted to point that out, recommend the video and the new video series from the times to all of our listeners and see what you, you two thought. Now I know, you know, Maddie went to NYU, which is a very, very good school. Uh, Rebecca, it's, uh, I don't know much about Bates college, but if you majored in rhetoric, it also <laughs> sounds quite fancy. So, um, I went to undergrad to a, also a small liberal arts school, which, um, was a great school, but it certainly wasn't like an Ivy League school. So I'm just interested to kind of hear what you guys think and in your general topics, general comments on the topic. Yeah. Um, actually, it's funny that you mentioned uh, the like the whole Ivy League distinction. Um, with Bates, I noted I very much wanted to choose a college when I was in the process of applying that was a good school that I felt like uh, had similar values to me, and I felt like I could be myself and explore academically and be supported in that sense. Um, one thing I didn't really like, or kind of the trend is there, uh, Bates is a part of a conference called baby IVs. Mm-hmm. So oh, I was going to say, is this like Bowdoin yeah. all these like wannabe IVs? Okay. Yeah. I got it. Sorry. Go on. Yeah. 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 And just, I remember growing up and, you know, obviously I come from a Jewish, uh, household background, so education is very important. Hooray stereotypes. <laughs> uh, or at least my mom and dad. And we love them when they're positive stereotypes. When they're positive yeah. stereotypes, yes. Um, uh, what was I saying? Oh, yes. Um, so going to, working hard in high school and growing up academically was very important to my family. Um, one of the things I really, really hate still to this day is uh, higher education being used as a tool to oppress other people and bolster the, air quotes, status of somebody based on whether you're going to Harvard or whether you're getting a four-year degree at a, at a state school or a public school. It, it doesn't matter. For the longest time, I've said the person who is getting the degree is more important than the actual degree itself. 
rhetoric, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> um, but un- unless you're going into a very specific field, like the there is so much on there's so much honor in getting in higher education. It's for the sake of learning itself. Um, it's not this sticker that you can put on your wall and say, well, you know, I'm going to get X amount of money more than you in life and I can go use a fancy fitness club in a big city. Like, who, it, it's, it's a bunch of, a bunch of. It's hooey. more than that. Yeah. It means more than that. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, I would say you and Shay are in, in agreement there mm-hmm. and myself as well. But I do think it's interesting too, like, just seeing what a like a business it all is like mm-hmm. I've been dealing with that today I scheduled my time to take the GMAT which is conveniently right before oh, I go to see Shay so I can focus on thank you um and it's so expensive like to take the GMAT it's $250 all of the grad school applications are $300 a piece so mm-hmm. if I, I apply to even three schools I'm going to be out a thousand dollars just applying and there's no well guarantee that I'll get in to any yeah. of them. I spent, when I applied, ill-fated PhD application oh. process that we've touched on here, I think I spent close to five grand altogether. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's just, like, money down the drain. And I know grad school is more expensive, but it's, like, even the undergraduate level is, mm-hmm. you know, the same thing, like, having to pay to take these tests and to apply and all this stuff. And that's just one facet of how it's a business. And I think... It has grown, but even seeing, like, I was talking to my dad, who has an MBA, and he took the GMAT in the 80s, and I was looking at kind of the curves for the University of Michigan. He didn't go there, but that's one of the schools that I'm looking at, and the average for the test scores has gone up so much, and I think, like, I see it from both sides because it's like, I don't want to have to play into this theory that, like, the best school, if I don't get into the best school, I don't want to go at all. But at the same time, like, I was looking at basically the top 40 schools, you have to do so well on the GMAT to even be considered that I'm like, well, I have to be part of the rat race now. So that's just like a personal example that kind of goes along with this. Um, but I think in grad school, it maybe means a little bit more where you go and what who the professors are and what city you're in. Like, I know when we were talking to Jenny Mainpa, um, who's a therapist, like, she got her degree in social work in Boston but she was like I got all these contacts in Boston but then I moved to New York and I lost all that those contacts and it's like with grad school that means more but yeah like undergrad like Corey my boyfriend is going to community college right now and he's in the process of transferring to the four-year college next semester and you know the textbooks that he's using the professors that he has like they're not that different from what I had at NYU and I well he's paying nothing because he's on the GI bill but like if he were paying, it's, like, literally a tenth of the cost, so, and I, yes, like, NYU has, I, I think the networking and the caliber of student that's there does make a difference, but does it make up the difference for ten times the cost? I don't think so. Yeah, I agree. Wow, great. Excellent. Well, that was my toast to campfire. Uh, yes. Madeline, what do you have to bring to the campfire? Um, mine also has to do with education, but in a different way. It's more of a oh. recommendation, and I will, um, <laughs> post I don't have the I should have brought this with me I'm unprepared but in the most recent um issue of New York magazine there was a profile excuse me of the Waldorf schools so the it was focusing on the Waldorf schools in New York and the guy that started them is this like 
I don't remember what his name is, but he he created kind of like his own brand of sort of like anthropology and like sociology and thinking about the world that's a field of study in and of itself and the schools were sort of his manifestation of this way of thinking that he came up with and he believes that like they're basically all anti-vaxxers is what I'm getting to so like they don't believe in any Uh. intervention so like any that's why like all the teachers are very like soft-spoken and they don't do any sort of like hard discipline um and, like, the Waldorf schools outside of the Jewish Hasidic community is, like, the most under-vaccinated schools in New York. Interesting. Um, and they've actually, like, the state is starting to take action against them because there's been, like, the measles outbreak mm-hmm. in New York. Um, so that's, like, what the article was centering on. But they interviewed this, like, kid who's in college now who went to the schools. And he was, like, I was basically brainwashed in a cult to, like, believe that, you know, like, they paint the colors of the walls all like, according to the stages of development. So, like, the teachers aren't allowed to wear black because it's considered too harsh for, like, young Mm. kids to be able to, like, take in that sensory overload. They don't have loud noises. All the toys are, like, made of wood. They don't have plastic, stuff like that, which I think that part of it is good. Um, Mm. But there was also talk in the article about, like, parents of students with both physical and mental disabilities not being allowed to take part in the school because, like autistic kids have loud outbursts and they thought that that would be too disruptive or like kids that have medical treatment like cancer and stuff like that having chemo in your body is like not something that they're about um so I thought it was very interesting that is very interesting um I you know I think like with any of these educational philosophies whether it's Montessori or Reggio Emilio or Waldorf or the ones where they like go out in the woods and eat dirt like there are really excellent nuggets yeah. underneath mm-hmm. all of this. It's just about finding finding the nuggets. But that is fascinating, and I love a good, like, culty scandal, so I cannot wait to read that article. Yeah, I mean, they were talking about, I don't know how it is, because these schools exist in every community, so I don't know how the ones outside of New York are, but, like, some of these parents, I was like, whoa. And, like, if you study, it was, a, it was an interesting look, because it, it was focused on kind of, like, the school philosophy, and then the anti-vax stuff, and then talking about the guy that started the school, and basically how he was, like, basically, like, a European version of, like, L. Ron Hubbard, like, trying to start mm-hmm. his own, like, whether you call it, like, a religion or a cult, or, like, a school of thought, like, whatever it is, like, he was, like, this is the way that you raise your kids, and people, like, flocked to that, and then have yeah. schools based around it, like, some of it, I was, like, whoa, like, they believe in, like, reincarnation and, like, all, you know, it's a lot of, like, woo-woo stuff. Again, not necessarily bad on its face, but, like, when you're, like, children are, they think that, like, there's a, there's a time in, like, going into high school, which is when you can, like, start wearing black and, like, see the color black when you go from, like, your before life to, like, your current life. Whoa. So, like, they wow. think that children are still, like, attached to their previous life and, like, attached to their mother. Wow. Like, in a to way... their previous life as in their life as an infant or their previous life as in their life as, like, a, I don't know, a farmer in Iowa. The more so the second option, like, their life in, like, utero. Like, they're oh, not, okay. like, yeah. a sentient being. They're, like, just an amalgamation of, like, stuff. Which, if you take that to, like, the nth degree is, like, very weird like 
oh, they're not a real person, so you can basically do whatever you want to them and there's no accountability. Or it's like, yeah, you probably shouldn't, like, show a kid a horror movie when they're six. You know what I mean? So it's like there's this weird gray area. But the anti-vax stuff, I'm like, come on, guys. You can't be doing that in 2019. Nate. Yeah. Like, the one in New York, I think it's in, like, again, I'm probably misquoting it, but it was, like, New Rochelle, like, somewhere in that, like, upstate. I know it's not upstate, but, like, upper. (laughs) Relative. It's Relative above Washington Heights, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so they so they have, it's hard to tell because a lot of the parents aren't complying, but it's anywhere between, depending on the year and the grade of the kids, anywhere from a 30% to a 70% vaccination rate. Oh my God. So that Whoa. is like maximum, there's 30% of the kids that aren't vaccinated. And we're not talking about like, we're talking about like measles, stuff, yeah. polio, those kinds of things. Um, I feel very lucky that most of my friends are the opposite of anti-vaxxers. They're like super vaxxers and to the degree <laughs> when I was like talking to a friend who's I'm going to visit her and her new baby later this month and she was like, well, I'm still deciding on whether or not you have to have a measles booster before you come here. Check what the CDC says in your area. Well, she didn't say that. I'm adding that because yeah. I will check what the CDC says and they said I don't have to. But um, And I was like, good for you. Like, I'm glad that there are a lot of women and families who are really putting their foot down and being like, no, you can't be around my kid if you haven't had, you know, a DTAP vax in 20 years. Especially in California or Portland or New York where there have been outbreaks. And I think there is a happy medium, right? Like there, I think there is something to be said for like parents that are like, I know my kid best. Mm -hmm. And you know that like any type of government regulation is not going to be one size fits all. And like mm-hmm. my mom did this. I remember growing up, she was like, like if we had a, an appointment to get like a vaccine, like if we had, if we were not feeling well, she would just like reschedule the appointment to the next week. Like that's not mm-hmm. dangerous, but it's also like, you probably don't want to like compound all this stuff on like a compromised immune system. So there's ways to be smart about it without being just like, mm-hmm my kid is a blob of stardust and they don't exist mm. in the world yet until they're 16 and then they can get vaccinated. It's like, that is stupid. Do they allow them to get vaccinated at 16 or they're just like, you can make your decision now? Well, so they, this is like the article, they profiled like a couple different parents mm. and like some of the parents were like, real, like the ones that were like really hardcore about the philosophy that mm. this guy that started the schools like was like, basically until you're in high school, you're not like... Like, that's when your body has, like, developed its own immune system and you're, like, a person. Mm -hmm. So a lot of these parents are like, all right, well, we're not introducing any, like, foreign substances. So, like, no, like, medications. Like, a lot of these parents are like, my kids have never taken antibiotics before. Like, stuff like that. So, like, yeah, on one hand, your kid probably has a very strong immune system. But on the other hand, your kid might die. So, like, there's that. Mm -hmm. So, like, stuff like that. Or they're like, no, like, harmful chemicals. Which, again, fine. Um... And then some of the parents are just like, yeah, no, we're not into, like, all that woo-woo shit, but we just like the fact that they play with wooden blocks and, you know, the teachers are soft-spoken and they're nice and the walls are painted this paint, you know. So it's like there are some reasonable people, but there's enough people that are unvaccinated in these schools that the government is now being like, you can't, we're not letting this happen. So that was kind of the lens that they were looking at the school through. And then they were like, also, this guy is like one step away from being like Scientology. So where did maybe you look s- into that? Where did you see this feature? It was in New York Magazine. I'll, okay. We'll link to it in the show notes so everyone can read I it. I want to read up on this. Yeah. New York Mag. Yes. Uh, Rebecca, do you have a toasty campfire topic or shall we dive into the interview? 
Um, I can talk, well, hmm. I can talk about a show that I really like mm. or yeah. um, a big video game thing that's coming up. Maybe a show, because we'll dive into the video game stuff. Sounds great. Um, so my new favorite show, um, I don't know how many how many people have seen it yet, uh, is Tuca and Birdie on Netflix. Oh, I haven't seen it, but I've heard of it. Oh my gosh. Oh. So have you guys seen- It's an animated show, right? Animated yes. show on Netflix. It came out um, early May. Have you guys seen BoJack Horseman before? Uh, love me some BoJack Horseman. <laughs> I, I just am going to confess, and this is not going to be- come as a surprise to anybody i just really struggle with cartoons in yes. general mm-hmm. and like our particularly adult cartoons, adult cartoons. <laughs> what did you about, say no we've talked about this before that you don't like adult cartoons i don't i don't i mean for a while i mean like occasionally i'm forced to watch rick and morty with my cousins and the pickle is kind of funny <laughs> but like overall i just it's not something like, you would I put on it, your and, own like, yeah. and i think about cartoons starting with Spongebob, and then I think about Ren and Stimpy, and then I start to get kind of nauseous. That's like, a this downward is a real slope. Yeah. Not, I'm not trying to derail your no. hot topic here, okay. Rebecca, but I'm like, internet, how I have a problem. I have a phobia of cartoons. No, I Cartoophobia. meant... I meant in the sense of, like, I've... Uh, I know in the 90s there was this, uh, the trend in, like, adult cartoons was, like, your, uh, your South Parks and, uh, Family Guy and, uh, oh my yeah. gosh. Like, very, like, uh, uh skeptical. Like satire. Satire. Very angry. Yeah. Um, it just felt like, uh, hey, this happy thing, and then all the way down to I hate everything. Which I agree. Like, cartoons, in my opinion, are, the yeah. reason I, the reason I love them is because they allow you to you know, explore the different limitations of, like, what a, you know, if you have a visualization of what you yeah. want your character to see or what's, do. That's how I felt about what's the cartoon, and I can't believe I'm blanking on the name, that it was Nick Kroll and John Mulaney did on Netflix. Oh, Big Mouth. Big Mouth. Yeah. They did a great, this is a cartoon where they talked about, it was, like, two adult men, obviously, Nick Kroll and John Mulaney, talking about themselves going through puberty, and there was stuff in that show that, like, if it was real actors, mm-hmm. they could not do. Oh, yeah. You know, it's so. A, it's actually a trend. It was a, good, it was a cool yeah. medium to, like, see that. Oh, yeah. And it's a, I think uh, it's a trend that's shaping a lot of like the meme and internet culture that's around today. It's like meta modernism of here is this very um, sarcastic looking thing, but it wrapped in cynicism is that at the heart is this very nice, sweet, insightful piece. So Big Mouth's a great example mm-hmm. of that. Tuca and Birdie as well. Um, going back to that topic, uh, it's about female friendship. It's uh, so the production designer of BoJack Horseman. Her name is Lisa Hanawalt. She is amazing in terms of like watching her talk at just different events her instagram is great i'm not paid to sponsor her i just love she's just so funny and uh is very open about uh you know the struggles she has in her life uh uh, different developmental phases she's been through with uh she was once had a bad bout of agoraphobia for Mm. a couple of years where she talked about like that what that was like well that was like as an artist and how like you know her outside people didn't really know and she didn't know like what was going on with her um, so she's very open, which is great. And so this show, um, she st- uh, she did BoJack Horseman with Raphael Bob Waksberg, who is a high school friend of hers, um, and just did the production design for it. This is, like, her own, like, I have this idea. She did the production design and kind of, she's like... She's, like, the showrunner The showrunner, yeah. yeah. So it's about... It's uh, set in a world of the similar to BoJack Horseman, where it's bird people, uh, like, hybrid... Okay, so, like, anapromorphic and, boars. Yeah. Birds. Um, I can speak words. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and, uh, it's a friendship between two 30-year-old bird women, um, 
Tuka, who is a toucan voiced by Tiffany Haddish. Ah, nice. Love it. Um, and then Birdie, who is a songbird, who is voiced by Ali Wong. Oh, oh God. I love Ali Wong so much. Me too. Sorry. Have I you watched? We were it. talking about it off mic, but have you seen Always Be My Maybe? Not to do uh, that. No, but David and I are, are both really excited to watch it, so we're, like, saving it for oh. a special, like, for the weekend, probably. Yes. Well, but text me excited. after you see the Keanu Reeves cameo. That's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Let me know how you feel about that. Anyways, back um, to this. <laughs> yes, I'm also very excited yes. to watch Always Be My Baby. Um, uh, it's what I love about it, and it's I feel like um, I identify with the humor as well as like being a uh, person, being a female person, um, or identifying. I'm trying to think of the words. Uh, female identifying person. Female identifying person. Yes. Um, uh, it's so great to see, and it's similar to what Broad City did when it came out of like, yes, showing women being gross and being real is not some revolutionary taboo. It's just refreshing to see um, also what an older female friendship looks like. You mm-hmm. see a lot of content that are like, I'm just a 21-year-old girl and I have a really big New York apartment and <laughs> here are all my quirky friends that we can all get in this nice apartment. Um, <laughs> that was the one thing I was always caught up on. Like, this is not yeah. realistic. How are you so, like, you look like an anthropology magazine yeah. right now. Um, that was yeah. the thing I always felt about Broad City is that, like, it accurately depicted that aspect. Yeah. Like, they, they did skew younger, but at least their apartments were, oh, they yeah. looked real. <laughs> yeah. That's like, yeah. that's my one checkbox yeah. for my, my female-based entertainment. Um, but it's great. It talks about, uh, so many different things of, like, uh, you show, there's a really healthy example of a long-term relationship in it, uh, Birdie and her boyfriend Speckle. I, I always see in TV shows, whenever there's a woman, there's always, like, the trope of the dumb boyfriend. Yes, Broad City had that for sure. Yeah, like, men don't understand, like, they can't, like, and it's, it's so great to see, um, uh, Speckle is such a... Which like, is, not having the drama be around the men, yeah. like, a functioning relationship kind yeah, of thing. Like well, a, it's passing the Bechdel test. Yes. It does. <laughs> um, it's, it's so great to see... Is that how you say it? I, I always thought it was Bechdel. Bechdel, yeah. Oh, I'm probably saying we'll cut it that. wrong. I've oh, okay. said it Bechdel, but I don't know why. We'll fact check this. I will this. set yes. up later. Okay. It's uh, always fun to, to say something really, like, kind of slightly smarmy and pretentious and then be corrected because you're saying it wrong no well this is the joy of podcasting as we always get people's names wrong all the time i know right we love it um Um, well that's awesome yeah definitely have to check that out check it out it's an amazing show great i love it cool well excellent segue yes so So, rebecca hi i don't know what we want to dive into first the video games the spongebob (laughs) what are what are we feeling I think since we were just talking about cartoons, we we could talk a little bit about SpongeBob and and Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think we do want to focus primarily on Rebecca as a gamer because I think I'm super excited to talk about this and I have a lot of lot of questions. Yeah. So, all right. Well, let's get yeah. the SpongeBob cartoons out of the way then. Maybe we'll start with Shay and then Rebecca can retort. <laughs> I feel of like this- why do we hate <laughs> adult cartoons and SpongeBob? Yes. And okay. I'll moderate the discussion. <laughs> Court hears the plaintiff. Yes. <laughs> I hate cartoons because they stress me out. They stress me out. Sorry, am okay. I the defendant? No, I don't no, know. no. I think we've lost the metaphor, but it's go okay. on, Shay. <laughs> they stress me out. See, clearly, I, I, I'm so stressed out, I can't even follow a simple legal discussion about cartoons and how much 
they stress no. me out. Does it stress you out? Rebecca, what you okay. or what you and Maddie were both saying about how it can kind of push the limits of what's accept acceptable and expected um and I think it's like as a kid I didn't like that I Mm. really I was a big reader I liked to kind of be able to control really control what I was consuming Mm. and cartoons didn't really allow me to do that and I think they also I mean maybe I should have been in a Waldorf school they all (laughs) they're also tended to be a lot of like yelling and like smacking people over the head with a hammer yeah and they can Sponge be very caustic. eyes were always sticking out and I just <laughs> was like grossed out by it all all the time and there was this like gross factor and this ick factor and even you see that in kind of like the old cartoons mm. I mean all the way back to like the early Mickey in the 30s and the 40s like there's always this kind of like it's like a creepiness factor yeah. creepiness or like this ick factor that just like did not sit well with little with little Shay and then I think <laughs> as I grew up and I had the choice to not watch them and now we have so many amazing things to consume across so many different mediums I just am not interested in consuming adult cartoons but then I hear what you're talking about Tuga and Birdie and then I've heard other things and of course like I said I worship Ali Wong so I'm now gonna have to watch it yeah. well it but, sounds like you have an open mind but yeah. it's not your bag so why, yeah. why would you say it's maybe it's your bag? Why I love cartoons. Yeah. Um, I think it's a, probably the same reasons Shay has identified, but a more positive spin on it. Uh, what I love about those old classic cartoons is uh, I'm a theater person, so I am, and I have studied rhetoric, so I'm very interested in how people express themselves and how we communicate. And I look at uh, an- animation as another form, or it a form in which to create metaphor for something, to explore something that conventional acting or just, you know, a story in a book couldn't really Mm. convey as well. And having that, like, you know, if you have a visceral reaction to something like a a, a really silly face that SpongeBob makes, for example. Um, I grew up on watching SpongeBob. It came out in 1999, so I was five, I think, at the time. I'm also a little old for SpongeBob. (laughs) I think that's always important to note. Like, 1999, I was a... (laughs) I guess I was a freshman in high school. Mm-hmm. So I just wasn't, I mean, I think a lot of kids yeah. did yeah. watch it, but it wasn't, I would have had to really seek it out. It yeah. just wasn't on the TV for me. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what I love, I think SpongeBob has actually <laughs> informed a lot of my uh, humor taste and uh, uh, kind of not, I wouldn't say like recent SpongeBob. Uh, also fun fact about SpongeBob, uh, next month is his 20th birthday. Oh, is, is it still was... going on? They're still making it's new stuff. It's still SpongeBob. going on, and announced. Even though the creator passed passed away, yes. which was very sad. It was Steve Hillenberg is great. Um, I got to go to the uh, office in Burbank uh, two summers oh. ago, and I saw uh, his office outside. He wasn't there, but I was just like, oh, I see Stephen Hillenberg a on the door. Sighting. A celeb. Um, oh. isn't SpongeBob supposed to be like fifty? <laughs> I don't. Isn't Spongebob that, like, is, part of the lore? He's ageless. I, yeah. There's, there's a show Bible somewhere that I probably didn't read. He's passed, he's failed his boating license, like, 40 times or something. He has. <laughs> um, but what I love about, I'll say Spongebob and also cartoons, and I think why Spongebob has been so successful over the past 20 years, is uh, Spongebob continues to connect with the uh, optimistic and well-meaning part in everybody. Uh, Spongebob is you know, a kid at heart yeah. and brings out, you know, if Spongebob is, a, is upset, um, you know, he has his friends around to, like, always look on the, not the, br- like, yeah, okay, yes, the bright side of things, but at the same time, not to, like, 
there's blind optimism we're just like i'm just happy about everything and i'm you know but it's kind of like it it's like spongebob's the optimist and then squidward is like yeah the downer like you can you could identify it in it it's like fun for kids but you can identify in it from an adult perspective it seems like from the from listening to both of you that it seems like what shay like and you guys can tell me if i'm wrong what shay maybe likes more about books and reading books you know being able to visualize in your mind these grand metaphors and thinking through it yourself first maybe what you Rebecca like more about cartoons is like seeing the embodiment and the creativity in someone thinking about those metaphors and then putting it into a visual representation Mm -hmm. do we think that maybe that's a happy ground yeah I think that works yeah so I think (laughs) you guys are speaking the same language you're both appreciative of metaphors and that kind of stuff but just different is like as Rebecca said earlier, I mean, these cartoons are really incredible, special works of art. And I respect them so much for that. Um, You know, whether you're watching something like SpongeBob, or, you know, some of these beautiful animated shorts that you always see around Oscar season, I mean, it's a really incredible medium. And I can certainly respect that, even though I don't seek out that particular medium. So I respect that. Can I tell one story, one tangential story before we continue with the interview? And I'll keep it short. My coworker has a tattoo on his ass cheek (laughs) of a SpongeBob character that was only in one episode. You each you you probably don't know Shay, but Rebecca, you get one guess. Uh, Can I ask questions about the character? Two questions. Do you know the episode he was in? No. That was one question. Um, (laughs) Is he a fish? Mm, Yes. Oh, my God. Um, Do you want me to just tell you? Just tell me. I don't know. It's Doodle Bob. Doodle Bob's been in more than one episode. Oh, I have been fact-checked real time. (laughs) Uh, Doodle Bob is a cartoon version of SpongeBob. So, anyways, can we just talk about the fact that my my coworker got a drunk tattoo of Doodle Bob on his butt cheek? Amazing. Terrible. Which, which butt cheek? I don't know. Okay. That's I, also he didn't show me. Is it like high butt cheek or low butt cheek? When I get to work tomorrow, I will ask him <laughs> okay, in front tell of everyone. Him the listeners want Maybe to I, I kind of want to interview him just about that incident. But, anyways, <laughs> so great discussion about cartoons and SpongeBob. Great. So now shifting gears to video games. So to kind of like yep. set the scene. So I, speaking for myself, I have tried. You know, I know you work for Nickelodeon and you're working on online games and stuff like that, but I have never been one to, like, participate in video games really in any capacity, either, like, online games or, like, you know, more mainstream console games or PC games or whatever. Um, but my boyfriend, Corey, is very into them, so I have basically experienced all of, like, Red Dead Redemption, like, all the big oh ones, like, observing from the couch. Yeah. Um, so we can get into that a little bit later, and Corey... I'm sure Rebecca saw when she came in, just bought a giant PC that is taking up all of our living room space um, to play PC games on. So, and he has just gotten very big into Twitch and like that mm. whole culture. Um, so I've kind of seen it from afar. I don't know if Shay wants to speak to kind of her experience, but I've tried to play the games. I find them very difficult. <laughs> I think I don't possess the hand-eye coordination, um, but that's kind of been my experience. So it's something that I haven't participated in other than spectating just Corey seeing it. And I know we've talked about on the podcast the positive aspects of, you know, Corey's been able to find a lot of friends online 
actually one of them um, we just visited in Baltimore the other weekend that they met online and were online friends, quote unquote, for many years. And then they have now become real life friends. And Kevin, if you're listening, is a great friend and he's awesome. So, you know, that's great that they were able to do that through like playing PlayStation and playing games online and stuff. But kind of the downside that you always hear about is the games are really violent. They're misogynistic towards women. Corey and I have had this debate over and over again. So um, that's kind of the mind fret that I'm coming into this conversation with. I don't know, Shay, if you want to give maybe a shorter or equally yeah. as in-depth I mean, explanation of where you're coming just for Rebecca's sake into this conversation. Yeah. yeah, of course. I mean, I think my knowledge of video games is very limited. Uh, I mean, like growing up, we had a very old like Nintendo that was like sometimes fun to play like <laughs> Mario Brothers on. Uh, uh, but that's pretty much as far as it goes for me as like an adult. I've had really no experience. Uh, my boyfriend David plays a game on his phone that he's very into. Um, and I have not. What's the game? I mean, it, uh, Clash Royale. Oh, yes. That is a very yeah. good game. But I think the thing that's a bit interesting is that it's like I, I didn't understand that there was like, it wasn't just that he was like playing the game, like you play Candy Crush or something. It's like there's a whole strategy and that you're like talking to other people mm-hmm. and, and all of that. And again, not to the extent that I think like Corey does um, with his video games, kind of those, what are they called? Like first person shooter? First person shooter, yeah. 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 Or just like um, PlayStation, even if you're playing different games with people, you can still be like talking to people on the you yeah can, like be in a party yeah. on yeah like playstation in and of itself is like an ecosystem yeah. and like yeah twitch for people that don't know what that is it's like you broadcast yourself streaming mm-hmm. and you can mm-hmm. like you yourself can be playing the same video game and be part of someone else playing the same video game streaming mm-hmm. and stuff like that so there's different ways to like interact yeah. but yeah so anyway so that's again my knowledge is very limited i think i'd always kind of thought of them as just until very recently as glorifying violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think what you're about to tell us is that there's a whole world out there of video <laughs> games that we don't know about. And I think I'm really interested in uh, women gamers, particularly because I've heard and I've read all these kind of this crap that they're put through and mm-hmm. they're threatened and mm-hmm. and sometimes they are physically harmed outside of the game the game world also several episodes of law and order svu about this <laughs> which are always excellent um but yeah so i think i have a lot to learn and i i'd like to just hear about your personal experience and what games do you play yeah um i can i can go ahead of the route i think would be a good starting place is why i'm into games yeah. and kind of how i get into yeah. that um, so I have grown up, uh, playing or com- playing with computers and technology since I was like very, very little. My dad was very excited when the newest windows, it, I think it was like windows 98 or something, or like some computer came out. Uh, my mom likes to tell me that when she was in labor, he was more concerned about when his computer would arrive to the house versus, <laughs> um, his poor pregnant wife in the hospital. Um, so my dad has always been a big nerd, um, always had his own computer games. And then in 2002, he bought a PlayStation 2. Um, my family's also really into, uh, NCAA basketball, mm. uh, Duke basketball specifically. My dad went to Duke and, uh, he, the first game I ever played on console was NCAA March Madness 2003. Oh. A classic franchise. A classic franchise from EA Games. Challenge everything. <laughs> uh, <laughs> shout out to the gamers. Um, 
So I, my dad bought the PlayStation for himself, and then he's like, you know, I don't really get this. Rebecca, do you want it? And I was like, cool, okay. And then I played it, and then I started asking for, hey, that purple dragon. So to give people context, too, like in yeah. 2002, because we're the same age, you yes. were in second grade, third grade, so I you were pretty so. young. I was pretty young. Yeah. I was like, yeah, eight, eight, nine, something like yeah. that. Um, so I was younger and I had played, you know, like my parents were really big into educational computer games. So I played stuff like, I don't know if you guys remember Freddy Fish or, uh, Putt-Putt Saves oh the God. Zoo. Yeah. I do. I'm sure Shay, Shay is too old. She's no. tuning out for <laughs> Too old. Too old. Thanks, um, Maddie. I remember I'm Freddy Fish. I'm having an existential crisis about my age lately. So let's just keep reminding well, me. Well, that can be our millennial moment for what our solo episode. We can oh, yeah. give Shay some free therapy on that. Um, <laughs> I've been having existential angst. I feel like once you turn 25, you're like, yeah, wow. Yeah, I have so, that. Anyways. I still have it. <laughs> um, yes, Freddy Fish. Do you Freddy remember Fish, that? Yep. Uh, Spy Fox. Uh, we played a, I played a lot of uh, uh, Treasure Mountain Math. Like, a bunch of, like, math and, like, literacy games when I was younger. The Jumpstart games were great. So, like, you got introduced from a very young age. And yes. It's just kind of part of... It's been part of my life. recreation. Yeah. Um, so, I've always... I've grown up playing games. Uh, the older I got, I started asking for, like, different games. Like, oh, this uh, game with a purple dragon looks really nice. So, Spyro. And then I, like, when I... Growing up, then, started to purchase my own games. And one of the things that I noticed growing up was... I didn't think I was... I looked at a lot of the games you go into GameStop, which is a store that sells games. Um, a lot of these games on the covers feature these big, brawly, manly, masculine men with weapons or, you know, some strewn about female body with giant boobs. And I'm like, well, this game is not made for little Rebecca. Like, definitely not for me. <laughs> and my, like, my, I remember, like, my uh, male friends would be like, oh, you know, this game is so fun. I'm like, but it, just, it doesn't look like it's made for me. Like, yeah. I very much felt like I didn't fit in in that. Um, so I stuck to a lot of, you know, the quote unquote girl games made just for girls. So like Barbie games on like the PC. Mm. Uh, I played a lot. Of, the Sims was huge for oh, yeah. me. I, I know a lot of girls are into that. I love, cause it's, it's dollhouse. I just yeah. also fun fact, the Sims 4 was free for a week last week and I downloaded it and it's great. And I have a woman named Helen. And as soon as I finish up this recording, <laughs> Helen and I are going to work on our comedy routine. <laughs> We love it. Um, so it's amazing. Yes. So uh, The Sims and uh, a lot of adventure games. And I started, as I got older, maybe in, like, my teens, started to adventure. And, like, okay, maybe I'll try, like, a, like a Bioshock, which is, you know, uh, Bioshock is a game where it's a, a first-person adventure game where you're going around in the city of this place called Rapture, which is, like, loosely based on, loosely based on the works of Ayn Rand. Okay. And then I started to realize, mm. like, oh, wait, so games are telling interesting-ish stories, like Assassin's Creed, where you get to go back to, like... Yeah, like, a lot of them have, like, a narrative quality to them. Yeah. And yeah. stories, I've always, you know, from our conversation earlier, obviously, I, I care a lot about stories, the way media portrays different type, uh, different pieces of history, different narratives you can explore... So I've always just loved those games as I got into my teens. And then when I got to college, um, I was so sure. I was like, I'm going to be, I'm, I wanted to be a psychologist. I was very interested in criminal psychology. Oh, interesting. Um, fascinated by, like, the minds of serial killers and oh. all that fun stuff. Have you watched Mindhunter on Netflix? 
everyone has told me to watch it. I'm terrible at watching Netflix shows. That's okay. I, it's on my list, though. It's about, like, the FBI people that have profiled serial killers, but anyways. That's, and no, that's something I need to put on my yeah. list to actually watch. Um, so I spent the first year of college. I knew I was very mind, well-minded with uh, English and history. I like stories and how people communicate. Um, and then my sophomore year, I watched this uh, YouTube series called Extra Credits, and it's still running today. So it is this... Uh, game designer, uh, James Portnow, a um, animator, uh, oh my god, Daniel Floyd, and at the time, I think it was Allison Theus who was another animator, but Daniel Floyd was kind of like the speaker, and they would do these, like, uh, nine, ten minute videos, analysis, women in games, what is the history of how women have looked in games, how they're being used as objects, here are the types of tropes they have, and I was like, oh my god, you can study this? That's so cool, and there was, they had so many videos, like, um, a, his, a history of uh, war tactics in games, um, how certain games are structured in a way to make a player feel a certain way. So uh, I can, I'll can i get on to yeah. more of that later. That's how, like, d- similarly to that, like, when I, I think, you know, a lot of people that are outside of, like, the console gaming world, like, you see every game as, like, being, like, the first-person shooter. Like, that's mm-hmm. what I thought every popular pe- mm-hmm. game was. But then, like, Corey, which, like, you know... I'm not putting, like, a value judgment on it, but he plays a lot of, like, horror games, so, like, Mm. similar to, like, horror Mm. movies, they're, like, designed to make you feel scared, Mm -hmm. and they have, like, a lot of jump jump shocks. I don't like it either. It's definitely not for everyone, but it was, like, whoa, it's very different. Like, you would think it would be very similar to, like, the first-person shooter or, like, the more narrative-style games, but they're very different, Mm -hmm. and it reminded me when you said that, like, some games are designed just to be, like shock value or like oh, yeah. just to make you feel a certain way and I was like wow I didn't know that there was games like that out there well, that's actually what I did my thesis on but I'll get into that yeah. so my sophomore year I realized like oh my god like I want to do this I talked to a family friend who um she was working in the game industry and I was like hi um how do I do what you do you sound really cool and she was like oh well I went to this college and they had this lab and I got experience and I freaked out because Bates College yeah. does not have that. And I was, like, having an existential crisis at, like, 20 years old. I'm like, <laughs> I've ruined everything. I love my friends here at Bates. I have to leave. I have to go to Full Sail University, which is a good big game design university. And I ran up to my, uh, uh, I think it was, like, a career, not career counselor. Some, like, kind of, like. like a guidance counselor. A guidance counselor, yeah. And I said, hi, um, I want to work in games, and um, this school doesn't have it. What, <laughs> how do I? And he looked at me, and he goes, do you like what you're studying? And I said, yeah, I really like rhetoric because rhetoric is the study, you know, stories, how we communicate. And I was like, yeah, I, I really, really like it. He's like, do you like your friends here? It's like, yes, I'm having so much fun here. Do you like being in, at Bates? I said, yes. He said, you will figure it out. If you're le- That is excellent advice. That man should win all the awards. <laughs> will- Best counselor ever. He was, he just looked at me and he smiled as I was like manically running around his office being like, I've ruined my whole life. <laughs> um... But that was, that's, I can't speak highly enough of Bates for allowing me to explore that. So how that manifested when he, and that's, I think that's the story I'm probably going to tell well into my years of my career in the industry of like, it does not matter. Education for the pursuit of that and exploring what interests you and, you know, you don't, there's not a path to take to get to a location. There are many different ways you can get there. Um, so then I said, okay, I'm, I'm going to figure it out. So I declared myself as a rhetoric major. Um, from there, I started engineering wherever I could any of my bigger assignments for my classes to be about studying games. So an example I like to give 
Um, and here's another fun game that's not about blood and guts uh, <laughs> that'll expand your library horizons. Um, I It was a class called Rhetorical Theory. Shout out to Jan Hovden. That was one of my favorite classes at Bates. Um, it was about, you know, we, we did deep dives into what the structure of myth is and how people, and religion and all these different, like, bigger tropes of how do people tell stories, how do people communicate. Um, and we had a whole thing about ontological and orientational metaphors. So the way that I understand, like, I'm under the weather, you know that means, oh, Rebecca's not feeling good because we, with orientational, we associate under with bad. So an ontological meaning, if I talk about, oh, Hollywood's so crazy, you know that Hollywood can mean as a word. It could mean the people in it. It could mean the location. It's, it stands for a lot. So mm-hmm. I did, for our final paper, we were told, uh, take a piece of media, analyze it with one of the different uh, lenses that we've looked at this semester for like a 14-page paper. So I looked at this game called Dysphoria. Uh, it is a game, I believe that was on Newsgrounds by Antipixelanti, I think is the designer's name. Um, but it is a game about her uh, transition from male to female. Um, it is a web-based game, and one of my favorite, um, it's a very, very simple geometric game, The fir- and it's a series of levels. Uh, they're divided into, I think it's, they're called gender bullshit, body bullshit, family bullshit, and something else bullshit. <laughs> um, um, and the, each little level had a collection of, basically, uh, orientational metaphors that described how she felt. So the their first level is you're, you're this like blue cube, uh, that and you see you're in this plain space and you see an opening uh, in this wall that it looks like you can fit but it keeps moving and you're like oh uh, and you can't turn you can't configure yourself in a way, and then it finally stops and it allows you then to get through and then text appears that says I've always felt uncomfortable about my body I've always felt like I didn't fit in. Um, which I think is a fantastic metaphor of here is this thing that you can see that you so clearly like want to have and you feel like I think I should this is me right I'm not crazy but this this opening keeps moving so that within itself is a metaphor of I know I you know am close enough to fitting in but I don't and I don't understand why and there's all these little different mini games throughout the levels of how would it feel of like you know trying to navigate just going to going to the bathroom in, in peace and like why do I always have to feel like I'm running or why do I have to jump through these hoops to get this medicine that I that I need to feel like myself? And it was so amazing to see. Uh, at the time, I was like, oh my god. Like, it's not a very popular game. It's a web-based game on Newsgrounds, which is a yeah. website that uh, more so was popular in the early 2000s. It has a lot of HTML5, like, web-based games. Um, or probably uh, Java... Was it Java? Yeah, Flash and JavaScript at that... Or just Flash games. Um, but I did that. It was great. I started... Um, I decided to write an honors thesis my senior year on this game that I love, that I think everyone with a dry sense of humor should play, called The Stanley Parable. Um, I wrote, my, the title was, This is the Story of a Man Named Stanley, Narratology, Authorship, and Agency Within the Stanley Parable. So, The Stanley Parable is a game where you play as this guy named Stanley. It's very similar to Oh, goodness. What's that Will Ferrell movie where there's the narrator saying everything he does? Stranger Than Fiction. Oh, Stranger Than Fiction. Yeah, Stranger yes. Than Fiction. It's basically that, of the narrator saying, this is the story of a man named Stanley. Stanley worked at this office where he did this, 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 and this. So then you get to take the place of Stanley, and the narrator keeps saying what you're doing. Um, there are 25 different endings to the game. Um, mm-hmm. Some, like, crazy ones. And the narrator 
instructs you, like, Stanley walked through the left door, and you can listen to the narrator or not. And the narrator starts to get mad at you when you don't listen to him. Um, Which is, like, what happens in Stranger Than Fiction, yes. kind of. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I lo- love this. This is, like, fascinating. I you have to play to talk it. all day. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, it's... Well, I think it's just illustrating, like, the facet that people who are not exposed to this world think what games are and what they can portray and the narrative quality and the storytelling that's involved. This is a very successful game, too. It was a a modification of... um, Do you guys know Steam? Or I can... Yes. Well, I only know it through Corey. But Steam is a a platform where people uh, can buy games. It's like a a store, essentially. It's like an iTunes store, kind of, for PC games. I mean, I think this is so interesting, because that was, like, my next question for you. It's like, you can tell me about all these games, but I'm like, I don't even know where... Yeah. To, to purchase? Do I purchase yes. them? Is purchase that what this. I'm doing? Yes. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, that's how much of a noob I am. <laughs> noob. The lingo. I know, but I knew that word. <laughs> I had to throw it in there. Anyway, go on. Um, uh, so what the game, talk, what I talked about in my thesis and what the game talks about is in the traditional study of rhetoric, you know, in the ye old ancient days of Greece, you had retors that would have strategies of if I say this story or this argument with this inflection or appeal to this uh, part of someone's brain, they'll listen to me and it'll work. Or they had strategies. Basically, it was manipulation. Um, now, with the introduction of interactive interactive stories and technology, there is now the constraint of the, the audience can respond to you. Um, one of the most amazing things about the Stanley Parable is that it plays with that constantly, where when you have choices, the narrator goes, oh, Stanley, did you really think you had any free will? Did you really think you had a choice? Everything has been pre-programmed before you got here. You were already dead when you pressed start. Like, <laughs> being like a try as you will, but everything you do is matters only in that I, the creator, and I, the um, narrator, have made it for you so. And it's so funny. There, There's also a bit of, like, some Monty Python-esque absurdist, just, like, silly humor in it. Um, hi, if you have a sense of humor and you like to think about free will and all of that, I highly recommend playing it. It's so good. Or watching a playthrough of it on YouTube if people explain the endings. That's, you'll get the same effect. Um, so I wrote my thesis on that. Um, I'm very, and was very interested in that. And I started, I, actually, when I was writing that, I applied for a internship. Um, actually, no, it wasn't before I was writing it. It was the summer before that. Um, I got my first internship at a, a small startup here, actually in Brooklyn. Um, it was called uh, Quill Grammar, and I was I was hired as a game design intern, which was a fancy title, mm-hmm. uh, mostly auditing um, educational passages. Uh, Quill is a educational startup that uh, teaches kids K through twelve grammar English and uh, just basic writing conventions uh, based on oh my goodness Common Core. Excuse me. Um, so I was able to design, um, a learning, ga- uh, a word association and Greek root game, um, and prototype that. I got to go to our schools that were already using Quill and get their feedback. So, you know, r- running play tests, which is something that we do a lot in the industry, um, and just got an experience for what, uh, what it could look like to work within a studio. And also I'm not, a developer, like, in the sense of, or I shouldn't say developer, I'm not an engineer. Um, I have some very limited background of, like, HTML5 and CSS knowledge, but... So you're not, like, a coder no. or anything like that, yeah. No, 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 And I was like, how... I love and appreciate these games and these stories, and I love helping those dreams be realized. How can I be a part of this? 
And a lot of that yeah. was realized of like, but yeah. Oh, I just say, I think this is a really good point because I just learned this recently that there is a big difference between designers and coders. Mm -hmm. So whether you're doing graphic design, website design, video game design, whatever, there's a person who designs it, which is the aesthetics, the narrative, mm -hmm. the whatever. Um, and then there's a person who codes it. And yep. those people sometimes are the same person, but they do not necessarily have to be the same person. And a lot of times they don't like if you're a coder you don't want to do design and if you're a designer you don't want to do code so I just wanted something I learned recently so yeah to put that out there that was something I also actually learned like as I I think when my senior in college when I was talk looking at different um job postings because I thought mm -hmm. the same thing too. I think most people do when you think of a game designer mm -hmm. you think of like the person who actually builds it uh mm -hmm. Um, there's actually an extra credits video uh, about about like so you want to be a game designer what does that entail and they said you have to learn everything um, mm. which is kind of a joke and kind of serious uh, yeah the best designers are those that come from a multitude of different backgrounds and understand all the different processes of how a game is built both in you know like the actual structure what uh, mm. if an engine you want to use what are the constraints and allowances of that um, what are some you know, getting into, like, actual game design theory of, like, how should you design a puzzle? And how should you uh, have platforms spaced between each other for you to jump? And it's yeah. a, a whole a rabbit hole you could go down. Yeah. Um, well, you have to understand the capacity and the limitations, as you mm -hmm. said. And you have to understand how it works. But you don't necessarily have to understand, like, how to do it. Yeah. I mean, it helps. I don't think I know. Oh, well. There are designers that start. They usually start out in like a different um, field or like have a specialization. Like I know there are mm. um, artists who or people that are artists that start out and then become like design and game designer. And I've done some light game design in my job, but a lot of it. And I the way that I do that is I design through metaphor. So I talk about like the example of I'm going to make this choice where this block represents this, or I'm going to make the choice where when a player gets this, they hear this sound. Like that is an aspect of design and uh, incentive and where I'm placing things in order to motivate. Um, so, uh, oh. so, so the how we're here now, I guess, um, I, I apply to so many different jobs, uh, as I'm sure as is common for the other young millennial mm -hmm. listeners out there. The job market is terrible and very, well, not, it's hard to get a job, hard to get your first job. Very, very hard. Well, uh, especially in New York. Oh yeah. And I, I was sitting in, uh, my hometown, uh, I think also kind of tying back to, you know, the pressure put on kids to like get a great, get a, go to a great school is also, well, you got this, you know, really high prestige, uh, piece of paper that says you're, you're real smart. So you should mm -hmm. get a real good job, right? Right away. My, my parents were very supportive. They were like, you know, take your time and hunting. And they were like, apply for anything that interests you. Um, I had a small stint as a, uh, freelance writer at BarkPost. Uh, oh, BarkBox. BarkBox, yes. Yes. This Which, is another way, reason why. This is my, like, dream job because I love BarkBox so much. But just go on. It may be a horrible company and you're about to ruin all my dreams. No, no, but. no. They're actually really great. Um, I was just amazed that they paid me real money to write, like, listicles about dogs. <laughs> um, this I mean, is the first thing. Like, this is my ideal job. This is when, when I met you. Yeah. I met Rebecca a few weeks ago, and we were going out for Cinco de Mayo. It was mm. great. Um, mm. And this was the first, like, we were 
obviously before then I was like, she's great. She's lovely. But as soon as she was like, I used to write for BarkBox, I was like, oh my God, Shay. And I immediately texted her because we had been talking before that Shay, their Game of Thrones recaps that Uh they've been doing are so amazing. And Shay was like, we need to find out who writes these. And I was like, oh my God, well, I found someone who used to write for them. (laughs) So it's meant to be. Oh, yeah. No, I, I, I was uh, freelancing, so I, I remember I applied for it. I was a senior in college, st- like, uh, two months before graduating when I wrote this. So this was, like, mm-hmm. I got paid hourly, and my, f- the, my greatest hits that I wrote, <laughs> um, this was the height of Pokemon Go when it came out. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote a story called... Good times. Uh, there's a list called 20 Dogs That Love Pokemon Go Because They Gotta Fetch Them All. <laughs> And you got paid American dollars. I got paid American currency for this. I mean, that's pretty good. That's was, pretty amazing. It was amazing. So here are all my friends being like, oh, you know, how's the job hunt going? I'm like, I'm just going to keep milking this as long as I can. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I can work remotely. It was great. Um, I. It's one of my favorite things. Also, a fun fact about me. I'm a crazy dog lady. I love dogs very much. Um, yeah. Oh, yes. Muddy yes. Paws. Muddy Paws. Sister. Yes. Yeah. I'll give a shout out to Muddy Paws, too. I volunteer with this amazing organization in New York City called Muddy Paws uh, Animal Rescue. Okay. We, uh, we just had our three-year uh, birthday celebration. I write for... Um, I write for... Thank you. Um, I write for the Instagram. Um, we, we had, I think, about, like... 16,000 followers about almost two years ago, and now we've grown our base to, like, 57,000 followers on Instagram. Wow. Which has been... I'm looking it up right now. You're about to have 67,801 or whatever. Woohoo! <laughs> um, okay. So I, I write um, a lot. I write some of the um, Happy Tales stories, so, like, the follow-ups to, like, our adopted dogs. Where are they now? Um, I do a lot of, like, adoption posts, so, like, I write funny things about the dogs. Like, if a dog is 10 years old, I'll say, he has a 10-year streak of being the goodest boy. <laughs> like... Yeah, <laughs> they're so cute. I'm know. looking at them right now. I'm sorry. I know I'm not supposed to look at Instagram when we're that's podcasting. okay. I love but them. I mean, look at his face. Who are you looking at? Who is that? Uh, Roxy Poxy. Roxy Poxy. Yes. <laughs> oh, she's a cutie. Oh, cute. Okay. Anyway, it. sorry. Go anyway, on. yeah. So, um, I do that in my spare time here. Um, I also do improv stuff in my spare time here. I'm getting off track. Uh, no. Well, to bring it back, so I think yes. just because we're over an hour here and I could talk to you for hours upon hours upon <laughs> hours upon hours about all of this stuff, um, I think one of the big topics that both Shay and I feel in addition to the, you know, I think we've explored greatly with what you've talked about that games are more than just like yes. the violent first-person shooter or, you know, killing the prostitutes on Grand Theft Auto mm-hmm. and that there's more to it than that, but how how has your interpretation been of some of these more recent scandals involving women in the community? Like, how do you feel as someone who really values this community and can mm-hmm. see how much good it can do and then see, you know, I think Gamergate is something that's penetrated yeah. kind of the mainstream um, effect or even, you know, it's not necessarily a women's issue, but like big game developers like Rockstar mm-hmm. not necessarily treating their workers really great and they mm-hmm. just had you know, a big AAA title, Red Dead Redemption, that, you know, has been getting a lot of traction. And for those of you that are unfamiliar with both of those things, just as kind of end pieces to this conversation, Gamergate was about um, specifically, like, female mm-hmm. game developers, and it kind of boiled up into a movement, but there was one specific 
story that kind of started it about I think female it was Zoe Quinn. Yes, this is started. Yeah, yeah. So female game developers, and then slowly branched out to female gamers just in general. You know, not being respected. Kind of alluding to what Shay was talking about earlier: women being harassed on these platforms for being women, not getting jobs as developers. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and then men taking great offense to that to kind of keep it general. Yeah, and then um, the Red Dead Redemption story. So. Red Dead Redemption is a video game that's very popular right now. It came out. It's kind. Of, I describe it as someone who knows nothing about video games as like Westworld in real life. Yes, so like it really is. What oh. Westworld is for the people that go to Westworld, it's like a way to play like a fantasy version of yeah. like Wild West, so you could play the game and be like, I want to have fun, family, great times, being a fur trapper, or you can be like, I want to go on a murdering spree and fuck everyone up. Yep. So like it's kind of a choose your own adventure like Western style game, but that game was one of the most expensive to make. Yep. Crazy amount of voice actors, like, Mm -hmm. just the whole thing. New York Magazine actually has a great um, article about it, which I'll post to, Mm -hmm. just about the development of that game specifically that I found, as a person that knows nothing about it, very enlightening. Mm -hmm. Um, Just, like, you know, kind of looking at it as akin to, like, a blockbuster movie. Like, it's on a grander scale even than that. Like, if you're looking at, like, Avatar or, like, Titanic, like, what it takes to produce a high-level video game like that is just insane. And basically, Rockstar works its people into the ground is yes. what I took away from that article. So, with all of that information, yes. what is kind of your feelings about all of that, like, nastiness in the industry? What uh, What is great about the past year or so, uh, and I, I'm looking at this as hopeful and optimistic, yeah. is that we're the games industry is finally getting big coverage in these big... These organizations and people. It's breaking through the mainstream. It's breaking through the mainstream where you know you know about this, yes. and you're somebody who doesn't really know. I don't a, partake. I've never played Red Dead Redemption, but I know yeah. about this issue. Um, so people are understanding that you know studios don't make games; people make games, and if you treat those people poorly, they you're ruining their lives. And <laughs> it's not so so many people after the ten year mark um, leave the industry. There's there's uh, we ha- a high burnout percentage. Um, and on the comment of being a woman in the, in the industry, I, it's scary in the sense that I've, you know, at work, my team is predominantly female. The other people I have there, everyone's very supportive. Nickelodeon's a great place to work. Like, I, I love my team yeah. and I love the people there. I've had people at, like, game jams being like, oh, you're probably just, like, a, you're probably just, are, I, I had someone assume, like, oh, you're a story person, right? Yeah, people don't take you seriously. No. Well, yeah. Like, it's, like, it's very, um slight things or um even when i'll go go to conventions usually the majority of the people that are in the industry are great um there's a very small few percentage of the people that are actually making games that are bad and if they are it's a small industry people talk you won't get work anymore uh which is great but it's i guess this uh this what's the word i'm looking for the fans of these games the more vocal players the players yeah yeah, the more vocal ones um you know because you can you could be a player of a game love it. You're not really going to be super duper active shouting, I love this game. You know, Treat your people nicely. I love every... Like, they're not going to go on Twitter and shout that. What you're going to see are the trolls being like, oh, why did you change this feature? Or why is this being delayed? I hate you, Todd Howard. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a lot of what I call basement dwelling neckbeards. Yes. And that's why... Mm, they are the, one, It's a technical term. It is. And that's the... Like, when you think gamer, what, what image comes in your head? Uh... <laughs> 
neck beard. Yes. A fat guy with a neck beard. I'm going to get so much hate mail for this. It's fine. When I get mad at Corey, Corey's going to get so upset. I especially give it that Corey is not a fat guy with a neck beard. No, but sometimes he does have a legitimate neck beard, and I make fun of him for it, but it's okay. The listeners don't know I could be a fat guy with a neck beard. <laughs> Spoiler alert, Scooby-Doo style reveal. No, it's okay. No, I, I don't want to make fun of people's appearance, but there is this, like, stereotype, yeah. and I think this is something that Corey's talked about with Twitch, which is, like, you can live chat while someone's streaming a game mm-hmm. that he was, like, it's predominantly men, but yes. that he was, like, you know, and I believe him when he says this, because he's definitely called out, like, PlayStation in particular for being toxic on a lot of these, like, online games mm-hmm. towards women, and just the men the way that the men talk to each other i was like whoa like yeah it's like appalling um but i understand why that space is there for like whatever that's a topic for another time like toxic masculinity all of that but he was like twitch like even um he was like he's given me examples of like people saying like racial epitaphs and stuff and they get banned immediately and stuff like that so like there is self-policing happening in some of these spaces but maybe not as much as we would like. And it's not coming from the developers or the people like yourself no. that are professionals. It's coming from the fans. And I think that's where, like, Gamergate comes in of, like, why is it that such a small... I don't know what the statistic is, but I know that a small percentage of people that play games just in general, especially AAA titles, are men and women don't feel... Actually, I have a fun know. statistic for oh, you. Um, this was as... I've, I've yeah, probably- bring it. As I believe of last year, I'm probably misquoting it, but based on, when you think of games, it does, well, AAA, you specify AAA, uh, which means, like, a big console title game where, like, hundreds of millions of dollars are behind the production, but if you factor in all types of games, so at your uh, Farmville's on Facebook, any kind of social game on apps, any kind of Switch, all of that, the average profile, can you, you guys ready for a drum roll? Yes. The average gamer is a Women in, woman in her 40s. Oh, I love oh, it. Oh, interesting. Yes. I love that. Yes. Last I heard. That could probably well, be wrong encouraging. today. That's um, so yeah. encouraging. Uh, one of the great examples, and what you're seeing more now with, one, the industry being in the news a lot more, two, the industry being a huge money-making, mm-hmm. like, Churn, butter, yeah. butter churner of money. And if, if you're going to have a huge industry, this is something Corey and I have talked about so much. It's like, you can't turn your back on 50% of the population. Oh, yeah. Oh, and yeah. have a successful business. You just can't. Like, yeah. long-term, that's not sustainable. And there's such an untapped market. Like, I think it's it's so encouraging. And I think one of the best things about this conversation we've been having here is that, um, you know, just broadening people's oh, definition yeah. of what, quote-unquote, video games are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the educational storytelling value of them. And then, you know, you know narrowing the conversation to the more popular, you know, what we've been seeing in the news and stuff, like, I hope, and again, this goes back to your point of being optimistic, that these bigger developers are taking into account that, you know, they need to have a broad-based audience in order to survive. And I think going to the, you know, women in gaming, but also, like, the violent aspect, it's like, that... The, the women in games thing I, I feel very optimistic about. Mm-hmm. This is just me. I feel me I feel like there's there's change happening and I feel like it's very positive. The violent aspect though, and yes. I know there's mixed I do want to put this caveat that like, you know, video games have been maligned and a lot of like school shootings and stuff mm-hmm. for being a contributing factor. There's no overwhelming evidence and that it really causes it and I don't want to get into that topic necessarily, but um, you know, definitely I think 
violence for children is not something that we would be waving a flag and be like, yay, we love it. We yeah. want all the kids to play violent video games. But it's like, I look at like a Game of Thrones or a Breaking Bad and it's yeah. like we have all these television shows that are so popular that are just as, if not more violent yep. than a Red Dead Redemption or something like that. Mm-hmm. But yet video games, because it puts you in the driver's seat, get maligned so much more. What is your response to that kind of criticism? Well, it's also, be- I think, uh, going back to your point where you're like, where uh, both of you entering the conversation of having like kind of an outside perspective yeah. on it. Well, it's the only real medium that has this, like from the outset, uh, net, like this type of negative uh Connotation. Connotation. Yeah. Because it's something Compared that people Compared to, don't... like, movies, TV, books, yeah. etc. It's yeah. crazy. Like, people ask you, like, what's your favorite movie? What's your favorite book? Like, you're like, oh, cool. You're not like, I'm not a book... Or, I mean, some people are not a book person. Yeah. But, like, it's not a crazy question to ask somebody. Right. Um, yeah. There was one of the uh, best examples of just, like, uh, news media picking up on something and just not understanding it. Uh, there, I think it was, like, back in 2010s or so. There's a game called Mass Effect, uh, which is a role-playing game. It's... Um, sp- space role-playing-ish game, I guess. Uh, Choose-your-adventure-esque choose game. Um, they were saying, uh, uh, Mass Effect 2, uh, the most realistic sex simulator that uh, kids have ever mm. seen. And literally all, because there's an option, you know, you, you're playing as ca- either uh, masculine uh, Commander Shepard or female Commander Shepard, and um, you can romance different people and you can have sex with them. But what you see is, like, what you would see in, like, a movie of, like, an artful, like loving embrace on a bed and then yeah, it cuts like to the some next sheets some yeah. sheets you don't even see any you don't you don't even see any there's good no yeah <laughs> there's no business oh, you see i've seen some yeah. boobs in passing on grand theft auto definitely has some oh, boobs happening yes. but in the, in the strip clubs yes yes i love grand theft auto and there's another game Corey's home so he can probably maybe he'll hear me and he'll yell it out but there is a game where it was like it was a new one that came out a couple years ago where it looks like ancient egypt and there were boobs oh um assassin's creed he yelled it out. Assassin's Creed. <laughs> she got it. I get We're good. <laughs> there was and another example of uh, God of War, which was a franchise. Yeah, there were there were yeah. some titties. I there saw was, some I saw some yeah. lifelike titties on that video game. Wow, but lifelike. Hopefully they, children were not playing those. But all those polygons. Definitely man. not anymore that was on Game of Thrones though, which oh, I think is yeah. the point that we're trying to make. You see horrible worse things than seeing a naked woman's body. You see violence, you see sexual yeah. violence against women. I'm really hoping I get to see some floppy wiener in a video game soon. That That's my next game. <laughs> floppy wiener. Floppy. There are actually a lot of, if you really want a, a game with a floppy wiener, there are so many, <laughs> so many uh, artsy indie games that people put up of like, here is my metaphor of like, me- m- uh, what I think masculinity is. And it's like, I saw a game that was called like a like penis simulator where you're just this giant ant. Oh Maybe God. not that. I just want to walk. I just want to walk past the PC out there and just see a floppy wiener. There you go. So maybe it'll become okay. mainstream at some point. Anyway, um, that, well, so uh, going back to the story of the uh, Mass Effect, uh, I think it was like Fox News picked it up and was like, it's the most realistic thing kids have ever seen, and people are they just don't understand. It's like a it's a yeah. medium. I think they yeah. think at least this is what I thought. So I'm thinking from my own experience like thinking about first person shooters is like when you go to like dave and busters and you play like the buckshot amazing place you play like the (laughs) buckshot thing and it's like you're just shooting at people for like 12 hours a day but it's like in a lot of these games similarly to television and movies the violence or the sex or whatever bad thing you want to talk about is a part of the narrative yes and it's not you're not sitting there for hours and hours and hours just shooting at people. And they're also regulated similarly to movies. Again, obviously 
children can see rated R movies for X, Y, and Z reasons, but there is, like, a thing in place where, like, you can't buy these games. So, like, hopefully parents are educating themselves. Of course. On what's appropriate and what's not appropriate, the same way they would for books and movies and TV. But if you're a consenting adult, again, there's no evidence that playing violent video games makes you a more violent person the same way that watching a TV show or a movie doesn't either. Um, But... I think just getting the word out there that it's 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 the part that's sensationalized by like mm-hmm. what you were saying with the Mass Effect example, by the news media, by people being like, well, this is an easy thing to talk about. Of course. But it's part of a narrative structure. And that was something that me being ignorant, I didn't even realize that like something like a triple A title like Red Dead Redemption has a narrative arc. It's mm. not just like a very good one. Westworld <laughs> shooting people all yeah. the time. So that yeah. is something that Great Redemption. Know. <laughs> it's a great redemption story. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, there we go. Re- no, it actually really is. Um, but that's what's so great about these games is that you're able to dive into different human emotions. And I'd also like to say to the people that are like, oh, you know, games are doing this. That you, it makes the people consuming this media awfully stupid and lack agency and uh, responsibility for their own actions and choices. Like as you said, you know, obviously parents uh for these kids can you know choose what things are and are not appropriate. But like simply exposing somebody to one thing doesn't automatically make them that uh you know i can't provide like a i mean i can provide only the example of myself of like i've played a lot of these violent video games and like but at the same time i you know i will say for the listeners rebecca is not a i'm not sociopath she has not shot up a school she's very lovely she is very lovely (laughs) i'm wearing a a nice anthropology sundress yeah Uh, yeah she's not a 400 pound neck beard not a 400 pound (laughs) no um but it's it's you know it's people not taking responsibility for the own choices they make to blame something on being exposed is robs you robs the person of their own um not free will what's the word i'm looking for their own responsibility agency, yeah agency yeah mm-hmm. cool yeah. i don't know shay do you have any more questions for rebecca before we dive into the archery range i know we're I going a little we bit over just, time. we've been i think it's time for we've the archery a lot range. of topics I could yeah. ask more questions but we may need to have you back another time Ooh, i'd be down for that so Yeah. All right. Let's dive in. Cool. Uh, So we're going to ask you a series of rapid fire questions. Uh, Please just answer whatever comes to the top of your head. Uh, If we ask for a favorite, it doesn't have to be the favorite. It can be like a top five favorite. Okay. So here we go. Favorite childhood snack. Uh, Fruit gushers. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) We just had my German boss try gushers for the first time and he had never oh. had them and it was i wish i had taken a video up. no he was just we didn't tell him <laughs> that they had a mushy inside and he was surprised so why did you tell him that's so cruel because we wanted to prank i don't know we wanted him to see quick fun fact about fruit gushers there was a commercial in the 90s that like when a kid ate a gusher their head would turn into a fruit oh yes yeah. and uh i saw a kid eating them at like a preschool and i slapped the bag out of his hands because i didn't want him to turn into a strawberry and then i ate them and they were delicious oh Classic. <laughs> I just thought this was like a recent story, and I was like, "You slapped? <laughs> no!" Oh no! Oh okay, focus, Maddie. Terrible. Sorry. Okay, favorite book. Currently, it is "The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck" by Mark Manson. Oh, I just got his second book that just came out—the oh, yeah. one with the blue cover. Yes, I have read that one. It's great. Um, Shay, your turn. Favorite movie. Always and forever, Kiki's Delivery Service. Nice. Favorite video game. Ooh, Psychonauts. Fantastic game. I could talk about for hours on this podcast. Uh, favorite TV show? Current favorite TV show is Tuca and Birdie. 
but also nice. Community is a fantastic show. Oh yes, oh. I was just Corey. I had seen it. Corey's was rewatching it, so mm. we're just experiencing it together. Um, favorite place you visited but have never lived? Oh my gosh, um, Japan. I recently went to Japan. Uh, oh, fun! I want to go to Japan. Uh, favorite place you've lived since it seems like you've lived a few places. Oh my goodness, Richmond, Virginia. Actually, I love Richmond. That's awesome. And New York too. That's great. Well, I think that's a great amount of arrows we have spun out here (laughs) in the archery range. Um, Thank you, Rebecca, for coming on. Thank you for having me. If you would like to be found on the interwebs, where can people find you? Yes, I am on Twitter posting uh, funny pictures, I guess, and thoughts. Uh, My name is Bex Bessell, B-E-X-B-A-S-S-E-L-L on Twitter. Um, I have a website uh, that features the games that I've made. Uh, my name is Rebecca, R-E-B-E-C-C-A-H, last name Bassell, B-A-S-S-E-L-L, all one word, dot com. Um, go support Muddy Paws. Uh, it's a fantastic organization in New York City. Uh, Muddy Paws Rescue NYC on Instagram. Um, I'm probably forgetting something else. I don't know. Your Instagram. Sorry, let us know if you think of it. Oh, my Instagram too, I guess, if you want to follow me. Uh, my name on Instagram is Basil Lady. Uh, B A S I L A D Y. I think it's Basy Lady, <laughs> technically. Didn't want to have we'll link else. to all of these so yes. people can read them. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. Well, thank you so awesome. much for being here. Thank you so much, Thanks, Rebecca. Me. All right, campers, we will see you next week. Have a good one. Thanks for listening. Camp Adulthood is hosted by Maddie Yergi, Resident Youth, and Shay Keats, Camp Adulthood. We are produced by Jenny Mayfield, and this episode was recorded in Maddie's living room. You can find us on social media at camp underscore adulthood. You can email us hello at campadulthood.com, and you can visit us at campadulthood.com. Thanks, campers. We hope that you enjoy your stay at Camp Adulthood.